0: who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Rise Directory a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Hello and welcome to the final episode of 2022 of the Social Workers Rise podcast. Man, it has been quite a year and a busy year at that. So this is our 109th episode ever, which I would have never thought that I would do 109 podcast episodes in two years, but it's pretty amazing. I am really proud of where the podcast has gone, where we have been. I mean, we started from nothing and now we are here. We are among the top 2% of podcasts worldwide among all podcasts in all categories. That blows my mind and I'm really, really proud of that. We are heard in 57 different countries which is wild to me because I don't even know if I can name 57 different countries. But wherever you are in the world, thank you so much for being here. And chances are you have discovered this podcast this year in 2022 because 98% of my current listeners have recently discovered me this year. So if you are new around here, welcome. If you are among the 2% 2% OGs, the people who have been with me since 2020, 2021. I especially love you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me these past two years. It's been an amazing wild ride. So, I wanted to really just kind of sum up the three big areas that I've seen that happened in social work this year. And One, you know, we'll just go in order, right? One is that there is the social work compact. And this is huge because social work is growing, right? There's no secret to that. We are one of the fastest growing industries in the nation. We're growing at 9%, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, which is faster than most other industries, right? So, our need and our skill set is definitely, definitely there. So with the social work compact, this has not been implemented yet. They they had um, released a draft of the compact, which would essentially allow a licensed clinical social worker to practice in the states who have joined this compact, right? So if you have passed the national licensure exam, uh, put out by the ASWB, currently that's you know who does our uh, national exam, then your state would be eligible to um, to join this compact. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. If your state wants you to pass the the ASWB exam, which all states pretty much, pretty I'm pretty sure all states do have that exam in place then you are eligible, your state is eligible to sign up for the compact or to join the compact. Once you have done that and you have passed the exam and you are what your state considers to be the licensed clinical social worker, you can join this compact. And then that means that your license is valid in all of the states who have also joined this compact. So this makes it to where you can Practice therapy across state lines. You can see people in different different states. You can um, being like a travel social worker is much much easier. This compact is going to change the way that we practice social work. So really exciting. Um, however, there are always caveats with these things, and this leads me into the number two uh, social work industry happening that that happened this year, which is the ASWB test results uh, by demographics, right? So like I mentioned, ASWB is the organization who owns and manages and distributes our licensure test, which has not been studied or evaluated to show that those who pass the licensure exam are any more of an effective social worker than those who have not passed the licensure exam. And I'm not going to go into great depth or detail about the compact or the disparities, but essentially the disparities highlighted that the test favors the passing rates of young white females, right? So the the older you are, the harder it is or the, the less likely it is that, um, that you're able to eventually pass. Additionally, people, of, people who are BIPOC uh, have a harder time also passing the exam, especially people who are Black. The eventual pass rates were very, very low on that. And it, again, uh, shows that we have many, many more females in the social work field than males, which is, I'm sure, of no surprise to you. If you have worked in any sort of social work um, job or been to any social work classes, you will see that it is predominantly female. And if you want more information on why the ASWB passing rates matter, go back and listen to episode 98 of the Social Workers Rise podcast, and we do a whole episode on that. Additionally, if you want to learn more about the Social Work Compact, I did an episode on that this summer. It's episode 95 called the Social Work Licensure Compact. You can go back and hear all of the deets on both of those topics. Hey, it's Katherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Masters or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion, containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, Visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com, and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, An Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. But overall, the big takeaway here is that social work is growing. The need for mental health services in America is exponentially growing. And the American Psychological Association has said that there is a shortage of therapists needed to meet the mental health needs in America. Additionally, people want to go to therapy. People are actively seeking out therapy services. Um, some people, right? Some people, there's a mixed information on that is that one is that over half of adults with mental illness do not receive treatment, which is about 28 million individuals. So that's a lot. And that's according to, uh, mental health America in 2021. And additionally, speaking to the need of mental health in America Uh, mental health America stated that over one in 10 youth in the U S are experiencing depression that is severely impairing their ability to function at school or work or at home with family or in their social life. Additionally, one in 10 youth who are covered under private insurance did not have coverage for mental or emotional difficulties. Now, this was in 2021 when they released this information, and I thought it was interesting because I found another article recently that really stated, you know, kind of the opposite. So one is that 1 in 10 youth don't have coverage, and then they gave another statistics that says 42% of adults with a mental illness reported they were unable to receive the necessary care because they could not afford it. However, in an article by AH, AHIP, uh, it reported that um, the Affordable Care Act, it actually requires private health insurance sold on the individual and family health insurance market to include mental health coverage. So the Affordable Care Act has been in place since 2010. And additionally, their study stated that three in four insured Americans, or 73%, said they found it easy to get mental health support that they needed for themselves or for those in their household. So it's interesting that Mental Health America is reporting these dire statistics about people not being able to access care However, when you go to a different study, it's saying that 73% of Americans had no problem at all. So this is why it's important to uh, pay attention in your research class, (laughs) because there's, I mean, there's so many different ways that we could go about evaluating this research, how it may be skewed in one way or the other. But overall, it is just important to acknowledge that some people may have trouble accessing healthcare out there. I know that um, there was another article that was saying that many of the psychologists and the therapists are fully booked up and they're no longer accepting any other clients. However, uh, you know, there are people out there who are accepting clients. So it really just depends. And it makes it hard to kind of decipher what is real and what is not real, especially when you have conflicting information. My hope is that because the Mental Health America study was done last year, that over this past year, the health insurances have really begun to understand the intersection of mental health and physical health, right? Right. You and I know that these are connected. It's a no-brainer for us. We know that if you have depression, you're likely going to suffer in your physical health as well, right? For That just makes sense to me. Um, the health insurance companies are just now catching on to that, and they're making mental health services much more of a priority. So if you have someone who needs mental health services, let them know to contact their health insurance. Additionally, the disparity in these statistics may be that the latter one is in, it's, it's serving people who are already insured, right? So these are people who are able to get on the, um, the marketplace and sign up for an insurance. However, we know that there's a lot of People who are unable to do that as well, maybe they don't understand it. If there's literacy challenges there, or if they are not a legal citizen, then it could be more difficult to acquire that healthcare coverage. So, there's a lot of different ways to interpret the um, the statistics, but it's just important to know that there is the need out there. Your skills are extremely valuable. Your degree in social work is able to take you in so many different directions, and you are never, ever stuck, okay? There are people everywhere, and where there are people, there are mental health needs. So do not for a moment think that you are confined to only helping one set of our population, A lot of times these social work programs will have you thinking like, oh, you know, it's only ethical if you're helping poor people uh, with their mental health, or if you're working in a nonprofit, or um, you can work in the government if you want more money. But there are so many more options available to you. And really, if your goal is to help people, you don't need to limit yourself to one population. People in all different areas need mental health support. We did a podcast on sports social work about how there's social workers who specifically help athletes who are struggling with mental health, with addiction, um, with changes, with injuries. And, you know, they're not traditionally... You know, underserved populations, right? They might be, but not necessarily. Um, the main, the main thing that your those clients would have in common is that they're they're athletes, and that's episode ninety nine. If you wanted to go back and listen to uh, sports social work, we also did another episode on corporate social work, episode one hundred and three, where we talked about how we can use our social work skills. In various different corporate settings to help people there, you know, doing um, diversity and inclusion, doing training, um, doing all sorts of different work with employees within uh, within agencies. Right. So we don't have to confine ourselves to one to one population. So those are the trends that I see happen so that are really really important in 2022, is there was the the social work compact that's being implemented. And you should expect to hear more on the compact coming up in 2023. They should be finalizing the, the language of it. And once they do that, then states are able to decide whether they want to opt in, if they want to allow their social workers to partake in the compact. And this is when your advocacy may be needed if you need to contact your state legislator to have them opt into this compact. And the other uh, the other thing to watch too is the ASWB um, test results or the disparities to see, you know, what are we going to do to remedy these disparities or to have social work be a more equitable place where people are actively included, where we have more men, where we have more Black social workers, and where we're not discriminating against um, age with this test, right? So there's a lot of work to be done. And ultimately, there is never going to be a time where mental health need is not (laughs) where let me see. there is never going to be a time where we do not need mental health professionals in america and going forward especially if they are saying that we are in a recession recessions are known to trigger even more mental health crises and mental health needs as far as they increase substance abuse they increase the suicidal ideation and suicide attempts depression and anxiety increase. So going forward into 2023, I would bet that the mental health needs of America are only going to be increasing. So get your resume ready, get those skills ready, get your LinkedIn profile ready for this because it is not going anywhere. And if you are new to a clinical setting and you're feeling kind of unsure about your clinical skills, then I would highly recommend you look into the course that I developed, The Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist. This course is amazing in that it really guides you through the therapeutic process when working with clients. Additionally, it really breaks down each step as far as the assessment, documentation, utilizing cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a fabulous modality for so many different areas, including anxiety, depression, um, trauma, a lot of different areas that you can use CBT for. And it goes on to, to teach you different therapy tools, such as mindfulness, tapping, and eventually, you know, how to safely terminate with a client and create a safety plan if needed. So if you are really needing more guidance on these foundational social work skills, I highly, highly recommend that you invest in the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist course. You can do this in one day, one weekend, if you are dedicated. Um, And there's so many different tools, over 20 different tools, in there to help you guide through clients through this process. I thank you so, so much. If this episode was helpful for you, go ahead and text it to a friend. Make sure that you are sharing this information. This information is free and should be known to all. So thank you so, so much for listening. And I'm excited to uh, to be back next year in 2023. Thank you for joining us on another episode of social workers rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars and leave a short note on why you love listening to the social workers rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You'll have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot And share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only. And any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.